Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. If you have a a pew uh, Bible or a pew Bible with the same numbering, it's on page 847. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. You know the old joke, the Baptist preacher put his... What, what does it mean when the Baptist preacher puts his watch on the pulpit? Absolutely nothing. Um, but I, I, I realize that that sun, we're losing sun, so I'm setting an alarm uh, to remind me to wrap it up at the right time. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus... A blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in August. We come to you this morning when the sun is shining and the Insects are making beautiful noises and the birds are chirping and Lord the voices of your people sing of our only hope in life and death is Christ alone and we remember that your faithfulness is what guides us and keeps us throughout the years. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Father we come to you and we thank you for the pleasure and the privilege and the joy of a family. Brothers and sisters with one Heavenly Father, God is our Father and the church is our mother. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to hear your word and the spirit that dwells in your people that will take that word and plant it deep in with our hearts and bring forth the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control that spirit that is working to make us more Christ-like, that spirit that has given us gifts to be able to fulfill our purposes and our calling within the body and to reach the world with the good news of great joy, which is for all people. Father, we come to you this morning and we lift up our brothers and sisters, uh, those that are not able to join with us this morning. 
Father, those who are sick, those who are homebound. Father, in these uncertain times during this pandemic, Lord, uh, the physical and the emotional and the spiritual toll is felt on all of us. But Father, it is your spirit that is a soothing comfort. It is your word that is a balm to our soul. And it is the songs that are of the church that brings us joy. And it is the fellowship of our brothers and sisters that encourages us and strengthens us. It's the faith in our brother and sister's heart which warms the faith in our heart. Father, be with us this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts to love and eyes to see Jesus. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you were to uh, write a narrative of the life of Jesus, if you were one of the... um, Chris, I'm going to move here so I can see everybody get a little bit better, make sure I can see everybody's eyeballs. Um, If you were to write a narrative of the life of Jesus, if you were one of the gospel writers, and one of your tasks was to, in that narrative, present what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, who would you choose to highlight at the end of this chapter, which is a great chapter on discipleship. Some of you uh, have been listening the last few weeks might have thought of the rich young ruler. He was young and he was wealthy and he was influential uh, and he said all the right things and did all the right things. But the problem is when the rubber met the road, his heart was not in it because he did not love the Lord with all his heart and soul, his mind. He loved his possessions and his wealth and his influence more than following Christ. Now, some of you may think Peter would be the person that you would highlight. He was outspoken. He was a bit impetuous. He stuck his foot in his mouth a lot, but he was bold and he was zealous. But the problem was, as we will see in the hour of need, and Jesus' greatest hour of need, Jesus denied him three times, even to a young teenage slave girl. And maybe John, the beloved disciple, he's got a gospel named after him. Uh, John was faithful to Jesus. He was one of the few disciples that came to the cross. Uh, And he was all, even as we saw the last week and the weeks before, he was overzealous and he was a bit of a glory hog himself. Mark chooses none of these. Mark does not choose any of the disciples. He doesn't choose any religious leader. And honestly, even though John the Baptist was a great follower of Christ, he doesn't even choose him. The reality is Mark chooses the model disciple in a chapter about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He picks somebody that probably three quarters of you may probably have never heard of. He chooses a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar who could see clearer and truer than any man or woman who had sight in their eyes. Because with Bartimaeus, for what he lacked in physical eyesight, he made up in spiritual insight. And so as as Bartimaeus sat on the roadside that day that led from Jericho to Jerusalem, he knew his utter need 
And he knew the one who could meet that need. That was Jesus. So if I were to give you uh, the lesson of Bartimaeus this morning, is this, those who know the blindness of sin, those who know the blindness of sin, see their need for Jesus. Those who know the blindness of sin see their need for Jesus. Notice verse 46, a little context Mark gives us, and it says they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples a great, um, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Jews that were in Galilee, in northern um, northern Israel, when they wanted to make a pilgrimage down to Jerusalem, rather than going through the um, lands of the Samaritans, the half-bloods, the, uh, the uh, people that they despised, they would go down pretty much the uh, banks of the um, Jordan River, and as they began to uh, head uh, southwest, uh, west to Jerusalem, they would all have to go through the city of Jericho. And along this pilgrimage road, there were many beggars that were sat on the road looking for alms and donations from the travelers. It was the lame, the marginalized, the destitute that would hold out hope that some pious traveler would take pity on them and give them alms. And it's here by the roadside, outside this ancient city of Jericho, where Jesus finds his most unexpected uh, disciple. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, a man completely dependent upon others for his charity, for his guidance, and for his protection. He was a vulnerable and destitute man. But that is exactly where he needed to be. For it was only in his weakness was he enabled to be able to see his need for Jesus. I, you probably know where I'm going, but often it is our spiritual blindness that we don't realize that we have that prevents us from being able to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done. We are like blind beggars. We are like blind Bartimaeus until Jesus touches us and gives us eyes. And we are completely dependent upon God for any good that we have and any spiritual life that we have. And so, with, as we continue in the narrative, notice verse 47, and, he, um, and when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, Mark doesn't tell us how Bartimaeus knew about Jesus, he, but he responds to the arrival of Jesus with incredible theological accuracy and incredible spiritual desperation. He cries out to Jesus for mercy, and he says, have mercy on me, son of David. Now, son of David uh, is the only time Mark ever uses it in his gospel. And what it's doing, he hearkens back to the Davidic promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises David that he will have a son who will sit on his eternal throne forever. And it's, um, Mark uses this, and, and again, this is the only time son of David is ever used, but Mark beautifully weaves this tapestry because look at what a chapter 11 brings us to. 
the triumph, the, the, um, the, the uh, entering, uh, the, it's Palm Sunday, what do you call it? Triumphal entry, I was going to say triumphal procession, triumphal entry, thank you. And it was Barnabas, it was his cry, son of David, have mercy on me, that would reverberate through the wilderness and begin to echo through the cities of Jerusalem as the people, we'll see in verse 10 of the next chapter, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Yet Bartimaeus' cry was different than the crowds that day. The crowds that day wanted an um, earthly kingdom, a political kingdom, a kingdom that would give them what they wanted. But Jesus was bringing a kingdom that they needed. A kingdom where the king, rather than be, uh, uh, bring victory through power and might in the sword, would bring victory through the basin and the towel. Victory being a servant who would lay down his life and suffer to pay the ransom for the sins of many. Bartimaeus, though blind, physically, he sees Jesus and feels his need for mercy. And notice verse 48. And many rebuked him. The crowds didn't like this beggar, this blind uh, marginalized, embarrassing person uh, crying out and making their city look bad. He wasn't the disciple that the world wanted. He wasn't a, a good I image for Instagram. He wasn't valued by the world, but he was valued by Jesus. And they told him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. I've never preached with paper or um, clothesline, clothes clips here, so we're working. Faith says this is what you do in band practice. So I beat up those kids in high school in band practice. No, just joking. Um, the crowd saw Bartimaeus as inconvenient and annoying. His actions were embarrassing for their lack of decorum, but they could not silence his desperate need for mercy because he knew he had, was, could not provide for himself and he needed Jesus. Jesus was his only hope in life and death. And he does not wait for a more convenient time to follow Jesus. He doesn't wait for a more... Uh, for an easier opportunity that he can get to Jesus without any help. He doesn't wait for a more comfortable scenario to come. He knows his desperate need for Jesus, and he throws caution to the wind, and nothing can stop him from crying out to Jesus. Ocean Park, I pray that each day that we are like the blind Bartimaeus who knows our need for Jesus. He knew he was a sinner in desperate need of mercy. He knew that from Jesus, he could only from Jesus, he could expect the gracious mercy of God. And therefore, he cried out for the mercy of Jesus, and he refused to be silent, though the crowds told him, and they pushed him back, and they scorned him, and they mocked him, and that he says, I need mercy, and I need Jesus. It's the very cry of Psalm Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, 
for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are trembling. This is the attitude of the heart for those who know their need and cry out to Jesus the first time they hear the gospel and every day of their life when they realize and have a deeper sin consciousness, the cross grows larger and sweeter and more beautiful as each day we say, I am yours, Lord, have mercy on me. J.C. Ryle says it's this way. He says, what is the first step of a Christian but a crying like Bartimaeus? Jesus, have mercy on me. What is the daily course of a Christian but keeping up that same spirit of faith? Ocean Park, the cry of Bartimaeus is the cry of every genuine disciple of Jesus who knows their need today and every day. Have mercy on me. May we be like Bartimaeus and cry out for mercy. Notice verse 49, the heart of our Savior. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. The crowds have changed. Now, now Bartimaeus is cool because Jesus is calling them. Um, kids, that's a good example for you. Be cool, love Jesus. Don't care what the crowds, because you can't make them happy. Jesus stopped. I love that. Jesus stopped. On the road that leading to Calvary, where he would lay down his life to pay the ransom price for the people of sin, Jesus stopped. This beggar, who is an invalid and an outsider, desperately calls out to Jesus, the one for whom and through him all things have been created, the one whose voice can calm the oceans, can make fevers and sickness flee, who can make uh, uh, the wind and the waves cease. The quiet, insignificant, desperate voice of a beggar marginalized, forgotten, and cast out by society, Jesus hears that voice and stops. Why? Because there is no one that is too insignificant to command Jesus' attention. We've seen this all throughout the book of Mark. Lepers and women with hemorrhages and little children. Let the little children come to me. And now this blind beggar. The king is never too busy, even for the most humble in his kingdom. And I love, and then I love this picture in verse 50. It says, and Bartimaeus, throwing off his cloak, sprang up and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus' response was dramatic and decisive. He threw off his only earthly possession. Beggars at the time would have had a cloak that they would have put in front of them uh, during the day and sat behind as, as people would throw coins into their cloak. And then at night, as he slept in the streets, he would cover himself with that cloak to keep him warm. Though it was just a dirty cloak, it was precious to him because it was his livelihood. It was his comfort. And it says he threw that away when Jesus called him. This uh, phrase, he threw off his cloak, is as dramatic as Mark saying they left their nets and followed Jesus. It's dramatic as uh, Mark saying, and Levi left the tax booth and followed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus calls genuine disciples, they leave their former lives behind and follow Jesus. And then verse 51, and Jesus said to him, 
what do you want me to do for you? This is the identical request that we can see previously uh, in in this chapter in verse 36 that Jesus asked James and John, his disciples, and their answers were worlds apart. James and John ask for extraordinary glory. I want to be at your right and left hand. I want to be your vice president and your secretary of state. Bartimaeus only asks, Lord, I want my sight. I want to be made whole. What do you want me to do for you, brothers and sisters, is the most important question you will ever be asked by Jesus. And it's frequently the answer, the question that people get wrong over and over and over again. Because instead of asking for Jesus to make them whole, they ask for power and glory and fame and health and money. And they want Jesus to rubber stamp their selfish choices in life. But Jesus knows what we need. And when the Spirit moves in the hearts and the minds of genuine disciples who have been called by Jesus, the answer is that they want Jesus to make him whole. Ocean Park, our answer to the question of what do you want me to do for you when Jesus asks us will reveal whether we want death or whether we want life, whether we want to be healed from our spiritual blindness or we want to selfishly use God to do our bidding and fulfill our greatest desires. Is, as our call to worship says, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are, are, are pleasures forevermore. The, the desire of a genuine disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus. He is the end. But the desire of a false teacher and a false G, uh, disciple of Jesus is to use Jesus to get what they really want. And we need to think How do we answer that question on a daily basis? Because often we forget. We forget that Jesus Christ is our hope in life and death. And notice 51 and 52. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Rabboni, very tender, compassionate, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Immediately a word that often... uh, The first three, four chapters of Mark comes up over and over again. And again, Mark throws it in there. Immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. In humble trust, Bartimaeus doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for success. But he asks for sight, to be whole. He does not ask to be superhuman, but simply to be human made whole. Because Why? Because Bartimaeus believes that Jesus is the promised son of David, who vanquishes sin and brings wholeness to creation. Bartimaeus knows that Jesus is the promised son of David. The, the promise that Isaiah 42 says, and I will lead, I, God, will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level grounds. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Brothers and sisters, this is not simply a prophecy about the physically blind will physically be able to see, but this is a promise that the promised son of David will come and bring spiritual sight to people who are spiritually blind. 
John Newton said in his great song, Amazing Grace, that you guys all know well, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, was a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Faith does not simply give us what we really want. Faith brings us to what we need, and that's Jesus. And that's the spiritual wholeness that Jesus is able to do, this work of recreation, creating new men and women um, from the ashes of sin and the brokenness of this world, creating a new people where Jesus is our head and we are whole. The restoration of sight, though, and wholeness was not the end of the story. Discipleship is the end of the story. Notice the end of verse 52. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. People ask us, are you saved? And we say, yes, I'm saved. But that's not the end of the story. Faith and being saved is the first step of the rest of the story. And Bartimaeus is the model of a disciple who follows Jesus on the road to discipleship. He doesn't return to pick up his cloak. He doesn't go outside the gates any longer. He leaves that life behind. And what does he do? He follows Jesus. And where is Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem to die? And Bartimaeus, we don't know the rest of the story, but it says Bartimaeus went on that way and followed Jesus. And this is the story of all who have received sight in Christ. They move from beggars on the side of the road to disciples following Jesus on the way. They move from marginalized outsiders to favored insiders with Jesus. Jesus loved him, but he, went, um, he was refused to allow Bartimaeus to stay where he was. Jesus was bringing him to glory. And that was started with the road to the cross. Ocean Park, may we remember the desperate faith of Bartimaeus who saw Christ with spiritual eyes and knew his need and knew the willingness of Christ. And Bartimaeus followed Jesus. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. Father, as we come to the table this morning, we come to the table knowing we were and now have been found, we were blind, but now we see. It is because of the mercy and grace of our God who has so loved the world that he sent Christ, who knew no sin, who was glorious and powerful, and he laid down that glory and humbled himself to, uh, as a servant, and not simply as a servant, but as a self-sacrificial servant who laid down his life to take the wrath of God to give us his righteousness, that we could stand before God no longer as a better beggar with shabby, dirty, filthy clothes, but as a son and a daughter before Almighty God, wrapped in the beautiful raiments of the righteousness of Jesus. And we can say, I am not here on my own accord. I am here because of what Jesus has done for me. I trust it, and I belong to Jesus and will be welcomed into the presence of God and all his people for eternity in the new heavens and new earth. Father, remind us this morning, we pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.